Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel. Say hello, panel. Hello, hello. panel. Panel. Joining us today is Siobhan. Hey, everybody. David. Every once in a while, declare peace. It confuses the hell out of your enemies. <laughs> and DW. Nanu, nanu. Shazbot. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we got a, another small panel with us today, but I'm liking these small panel shows. They're, they're a little more snappy, a little more, a little more peppy. I like it. Um, and not as hard to edit is the main <laughs> thing. That, yeah, the, the true most, reason. The most important thing in Ruark's world. When, when I only have to edit half of you people, it's so, and when I don't have to edit Axel, oh my God, it's, <laughs> it's like, uh, but today we are doing, uh, our redux of episode five, Blood Calls Blood. Uh, this, this was the heavy episode. This, this was, Yeah. Um, and, and I know the, the first time around Siobhan, you, you said this one took you by surprise and, and you had too many feels and, and didn't want to be on that, that recording. Um, so, so thank you for making it to this recording. <laughs> this is the only episode that I have only seen twice. I watched it because normally what I'll do is I'll watch an episode just to get the kind of impact of the story and then I'll watch it again and make notes. Um, and I, I, couldn't do it so for the rewatch i was prepared so just to give people some background information my partner died um just before the pandemic and uh so i can deal with situations where there is death but watching people grieve absolutely fucking levels me i can't i can't deal with it and the fact that it came as a surprise kind of took me out of the story, but I was yeah. prepared for it this time, so I was able to actually watch it again. <clears throat> yeah, and unfortunately, I wasn't prepared for it this time. Uh, I, I had a, a dog pass away like two days before I watched the episode to to take notes, and oh, that was not easy. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, yeah, um, my, my sweet Bella um guess the the same name as the sweet horse from from the show and from the books uh she she passed this week um she was she was 16 years old so it it wasn't unexpected and and we're happy that she's she didn't suffer but uh yeah it, it was still a, a sad passing yeah yeah um you're never ready for it when it finally happens yeah yeah so anyway, now that we got our own sadnesses out, let's talk about the sadness in the show. Uh, we start with our cold open, which is the burial scene following the the great uh, battle in the last episode. And one thing I noticed is uh, this is the only cold open to not step outside of the timeline. Uh, most of the other cold opens seem to take place elsewhere and kind of give us a, here's something that's happening elsewhere to other people that will tie in at a, at some or point. Here's something that happened last episode in another place. And we're going to show you yeah. this character where you were wondering what happened to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and this is the first one that just completely follows up. You know, you had the, the, the massive battle at the end of the last episode and then right into them digging graves for, for all the people. Yeah. And Stepan places uh, Kareni's body in her grave and takes her ring. And uh, Lan and Moiraine share, share a very long look. And that that was more or less the cold open. Uh, any new things you saw? Noticed the the paint on uh, Alana's face, and I was wondering if that was a, 
another like funeral rite from a different uh culture that I that we had missed the first time around. Yeah, I noticed the same thing. And I I was gonna bring that up as well as a, a nice little nod to the different cultural customs. Yeah, uh, that's nothing from the books that I'm aware of, but uh, I I do like that they are expanding on the the cultural things in the show. Um, so then we time jump to one month later uh, after our credits, and we see the Aes Sedai caravan arriving at the White Tower, and uh, we see uh, Karene's boots riding backwards in her stirrups. Any any thoughts so far? Stepan looks completely disassociated in every scene you see. Yes. Yeah, he, he looks like he's he's in a completely different show in every scene he's in. He's just in a different universe almost. Yeah. This um, would have been less difficult if the acting was less good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, like the portrayals of of grief from everyone in the show was just yeah. like well, the loss and the grief like in step and you can you can just see it you can see he's just he's just hollowed out yeah to speak from the acting side more than likely they're drawing upon their personal experiences they're they're remembering deaths that have happened to them and and drawing on that feeling and going back to those moments and processing those to kind of mirror what's going on with their character I give huge props to actors that can do that because it's not easy to go back and dig through your own own grief like that and re-experience it. Evil and grief are the two that that require a uh, an actor to stretch more than pretty much anything else, in my opinion. You have to scratch at wounds or or open doors that you really don't want to. And if you want to, there might be something <laughs> wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and we have uh, Moraine and, and Lan kind of share a little thing. And Moraine, you know, he's he says, are, are you glad that we're home? And she says, that's not home. Wherever you're at, that's home. Now, she says the saddle, which is the weirdest one to yeah. me. Like the bedroll <laughs> is home or something. Like, but like being in the saddle, man, that after a, an hour of riding, your butt's got to hurt. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody likes being in the saddle. I'm sorry. That, that, that one was bullshit. <laughs> And then we uh, switch over to Rand and Matt, who are also arriving at the tower uh, from a different direction. And this is where we see Matt snap at a, a kid running by and playing. Which, if I remember from first recording, we all had a reaction to. Like, all of us were like, whoa, yeah. something wrong with Matt. Matt. <laughs> yeah. We even, like, paused and, and rewound because it almost looked like the Mashadar was, like, leaking out of his eyes there initially. And, oh. then, and then I thought, because it... it goes back to him and he like sniffles because he's got this cold and it's almost like he was sucking it back into his eyes afterwards it wasn't there but it was really cool for my head cannon <laughs> so the first time through you were looking for people channeling everywhere now you're just looking for Mashadar to be leaking out of Matt at all times yep or anyone it might <laughs> might be leaking out, out of other people <laughs> gotta keep an eye out got you know you got you gotta fix those leaks you gotta <laughs> yep Mashadar plumbers, call us. If you're, yeah. if you're leaking anything, there's a problem. <laughs> I suppose that's really a good way to think about it, yeah. And then Rand uh, looks at the mountain and, and says, oh, I remember that somehow. 
looks so familiar. I should have picked up on that. That's like, you know, this guy who's <laughs> never been to Tarvalon before recognizes the mountain. That's got to be significant. But at the time, we were seeing significance, significance in everybody. So Yeah. Yeah, when, when he said that, I thought, oh, well, they just gave the whole thing away, and then nobody picked up on it. And I was like, oh, all right. I guess they we didn't. Were, we were still looking for Voltron. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <you were. laughs> well, even this time, there was part of me that's like, okay, where did they see that? Did they see it in another passing or something like that? And then I just kind of was like, or is he remembering his birth? Was he born on that mountain? <laughs> well, I mean, you could say he was both, both born on that mountain and died on that mountain. Yeah. So, yeah. And lived it's, under you know, that mountain. Well, uh, sort of. Created, the foot that created that mountain, from yeah. what I understand. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of him left after he created that mountain. <laughs> um, so then we get our big hero shot of Tarvalon. Uh, big, beautiful digital asset that I want to put my, my VR goggles on and walk around in. Uh, random at, uh, find their way through town. Kind of... You get to see a little bit of the melting pot that is Tarvalon, kind of the New York City of, of this world. New York City with camels. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is built like Manhattan on an island, so I guess, yeah. yeah. They they make their way through town and they find the blessing, the, the inn that they stay at. Um, and Rand says, uh, uh, Tom told him about it. it. It's owned by a friend of Tom's. So they make their way to the blessing. Wait, real quick, got to ask, mm -hmm. do you know the name of the owner? Uh, the name of the owner? Yes. Yeah, I do. I, 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 I had a feeling that it was one of those that gets named, <laughs> and you would know the name. <laughs> um, I'm not going to say the name of the owner, because I think that they might change that up at some point, because... Will you promise to tell us if they change it, and they introduce the other character and be like, oh, now that you know who these people are, this person actually owned... Will you tell us? Once all is yes. revealed? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, I will say that the, the, that owner who they never even named or, or really talked to in this episode actually in later books has a, a somewhat substantial role. So the blessing so, will be somewhat significant. Yeah. So I'm not certain that they, they've written that character out entirely or if they're going to bring him back in or. All right. Um, if you really want to know, the character's name is Basil Gill. We'll keep an ear out. No. A character go. named Basil who owns a hotel. Yes. And yeah. It's called yeah. The Blessing mm -hmm. and not Faulty Towers. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, in the original book, it's called the Queen's Blessing, but it's also located in Camelin, which has a queen. But since Tarvalon doesn't have a queen, I don't know what they've named it, so I'm just calling it the Blessing. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Fair enough. The Blessing of the Seat. Uh, <laughs> the Seat's Blessing. <laughs> that has a different meaning, I think. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds like a, a really fancy outhouse. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so Matt laying down in bed wants, uh, Rand to assure him that he's not the one who killed Helga and Rand is like, oh yeah, there's the, you know, the, yeah, that's, you, you that's why I'm being that. this way. Yeah. That, that's, that's, you know, you would never kill a kid. I, I mean, you know, old, you would never kill a kid and something, <clears throat> <laughs> but we're a little concerned about this new Matt that we're thinking might be, uh, emerging. 
So then we switch over to the warders' quarters where they are hiding Nynaeve, mostly from the Red Sisters, because they're like, where do you hide somebody from the Red Sisters? Oh, I know, in the middle of the place where all the guys live. That'll keep them out. And uh, Moraine and, and Nynaeve kind of spar back and forth, and Moraine says, no, when when my spies find your friends, we we I will tell you about it. I'm not going to withhold that information from you. There's, there's a part of that conversation that makes me think that there's more mirror, mirroring going on because Moraine is talking to Nynaeve about the experience of becoming a channeler where, where you realize that everything is different and you can't go back to where you were. And it reminds me very much of the conversation that Egwene and Perrin had around the fire where Perrin is saying, do you think we'll ever go home? And Egwene says no. And it's not that they can't go back to the place, but they're never going back to where things will ever be the way the way they were before. It won't be this. Even if yeah. you go back to the place, it won't be the same. You can never step in the same part of the river. Th that kind of wow. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, getting deep on us there, DW. You don't really want to step in the deep part of the river. That's that's that that leads to bad times. Especially um, if you're a trollic. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> or good times for everybody else. It's not for that trollic. <laughs> <laughs> So then we switch over to Eggy and P-Dog uh, hanging out with the Tawatha on. P-Dog, yeah. I, yeah with the wolf reference, that makes it a little too on the nose. <laughs> They're having a little bit of a cute off on the road with Aram, like all three of them walking along. Like, oh, I'm cuter than you. No, I'm cuter than you. <laughs> and uh, Valda's assholes show up and stops the caravan. Rain and Isla tell the white cloaks to go very peaceably fuck themselves. I love the way that culture is depicted as just like that's that's surprisingly badass like you have a group of people who are like we will not raise our hands against anybody else but we also won't fucking back down we are militantly peaceful motherfucker yeah <laughs> i i hate to say it but i you know i don't hate to say it i've seen a lot of that face recently in the news with protests that were going on uh recently with the um one of the bills in one of the state houses uh to basically abolish trans rights where they just a back row of people uh, sitting in seats interlocked and had the same expression when you believe in something we're not going anywhere yep no yeah. trans rights are human rights yep i also not not to downplay the the those two thought processes or in any way to try and elevate the white cloaks to anything but it was also kind of interesting to me that i've seen this in in multiple uh not just religions, but arguments where people will take something and they will make it the example of what they want it to be versus what they see the other side. And I can see the argument for the other side. It's one of a weird thing my brain does of, of I can see both sides of many arguments, not necessarily agreeing with both sides, but I can see where the person's making their argument. And when they like they talk about the light and they say, well, yeah, but leaves, if you crush them up, you put them in the ground and they'll grow into trees and stuff like that. It's like, well, unless you delete the source of the light even if you black out the light the light is still there and the light will shine through any cracks like you could make the argument for either side which is part of why there are followers on both sides is because somebody believed those arguments which one's right yeah. which one's actually a good guy good guys really clear in this particular one but it was interesting to hear those arguments and i didn't notice as much the first time how those those things could be twisted that way I noticed the first time, but I really noticed it this time when they end up capturing them. 
the the camera angles and everything, the circling of the horses, it was just like shot for shot of clan execution squads. Like they they could have had hoods on their head and it would have been a historical depiction. Uh, the thing I wonder about the the white cloaks is like, do they just walk around Prague and look for guys with with that proud boy haircut and just be like, "You, we need you for for an extra," <laughs> or or do they they bring them in and then be like, uh, "Haircut time, boys!" And they're like, "Oh man, no. <laughs> you get paid extra for that." There's a bump for haircut if they have to actually cut your hair to a style or something like that. They have to pay you an amount to cut your hair. You have to walk around the streets looking like that after. Well, now I'm upset because there was a, a film I was in where I played a uh, army guy person dude, and and they made me go get my hair cut like an army guy person dude, and and then they cut me from the final film, but uh, I still was stuck with this army dude haircut, and it was annoying. Was it Union? Oh, it was some film for some guy <laughs> in film school. It was just yeah. like final project or something. Yeah. No, I I I've changed facial hair for school projects. That does not. They they don't pay you anything extra. So then, as you said, we get our our the way of the leaf versus the way of the light fight scene. They just start clocking them. It's 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 it was jarring to me. It was jarring mm-hmm. to me with the way they just kind of like it was a lot of turn the other cheek and they were doing it. And often you'll hear people talk about that, but not yeah. be able to practice it. And somebody so strong to it that was oh man we we then go to the library inside the blessing where rand is looking at some books and he picks up the uh carathon cycle which is kind of the main prophecy book in in this world you should read it he's in it yeah (laughs) (laughs) multiple times dude I I never saw in my head the the Carathon cycle being something that large that was a very large tome he was holding. I saw it being more like, you know, a, a more like the constitution kind of a few sheets long but not This was the illustrated version. Yeah. I'm thinking maybe <laughs> maybe it's like, you know, commentaries on with with various people's different commentaries and and things or something. I I The footnotes are three thirds of the page. Well, I mean, if you take the footnotes out of the Bible, that thing's like 20 pages long. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, Rand's saying they're reading the Carathon Cycle, and then uh, Loyal walks in and scares the living crap out of him. Loyal! I love Loyal. <laughs> so let's just talk about Loyal for a minute. I think we should all yield to Siobhan, who was not here to talk about Loyal's entrance. <laughs> I, well, you know how much I, I love monsters. and <laughs> No, I just, I think I love his characterization. I love the makeup on this actor. You could see his facial expressions through all the prosthetics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's standing there talking to Rand and he's like... You're unusual. I like that. And he starts smiling and you can just like, he's so emotive. It just come all, yeah, it comes entirely through. You can just see the smile in, in his eyes and his face, just everything. Yeah. It, it worked really well. Yeah. So he, I, I, Dave Gears are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, Jay in the chat points out that uh, they did a really good job of adding bringing us loyal in this episode so that we actually had a light portion to focus on as yeah. opposed to be, being that's, too dark. Yeah, that's true. A little bit of contrast. My girlfriend loves to quote um, Bertolt Brecht that, you know, bad tragedians are always crying and bad comedians are always laughing. If you don't have some contrast, it doesn't have the same impact. Yeah. It's very true. So loyal is our contrast and... <laughs> 
<laughs> Boy, howdy, do we need some? I also feel Loyal's innocence, to a certain extent, as non a non-book reader, it kind of gave me like... He's whose eyes I'm going to look through because he's going to look at everything like, wow, that's neat. Ooh, look over there. (laughs) Exactly. I'm not going to be weighed down by all the drama of the show. I'm just going to be excited to watch. No agenda, no drama, just, you know, who he he is, who he says he is. Yeah, yeah, there's no duplicitousness or guile happening there. He, He is what he presents himself as. He's a very literal character. Yeah. One thing that did pop out for me is the fact that he talks about how the reaction of everybody when he first got there, people are chasing me with knives. And I was about to get a little perturbed by this. And like, even though the Ogier helped to build Tarvalon, that gives me the impression that he's the only one there, that no one has seen Ogier for some time. The fact that they reacted so strongly to him. They go back to those forests. They have to, yeah. They have to return to the steading. So it's probably uncommon for one to live in the city for very long at all, if yeah. at all. Yeah. Oh, oh, gear. If they're living in the city, it's because they're on a work crew that is is doing some some kind of stonework somewhere in the city. But you know, most of the cities are built. So if they're there, they're just doing maintenance work, and they only need to do maintenance work probably once every twenty years or so. So you know, oh, gear are not a common common sight in in cities any longer. But, you know, still, if I had seen one 20 years ago, I'd still recognize what one was and wouldn't be chasing them around. Yeah, but were you in those particular tunnels where the work was being done to have seen one? Yeah, fair You point. didn't parade through the town going, hey, everybody, I'm here, and they cheer him on a chair. You'd, you'd, you'd still know that, you know, Ogiers show up every 20 years, you know, like you see the orange vest and you're like, okay, these guys are... <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder if it's also one of those things that some parents might use to like, you know, d- you better finish your plate or the Ogier's going to come and get you. <laughs> With how big and, you know, oftentimes the big guys used for that. Well, mm-hmm. and that, that lends credence to um, Rand when he first meets us. Like, oh, you're an ogre. Oh, the, the Yeah, the, the connotation ogre is much more brutal than Ogier. And, and I'm sure that was a case of, you know, Rand has only read about these things. He's, he's read about them in books, and he's like, oh, it's it's pronounced ogre. Loyal's like, no, it is ogier. I am not going to judge you, though, because clearly you learned that by reading. And I judge no one for reading. Reading is very good. <laughs> then we get Rand and Loyal um, talking about uh, Egwene. After they, after looking at a copy of the Travels of Jane Farstrider, and Rand was saying that that was her favorite book. Loyal says, "Oh, that is a very, very nice book. I am very happy for you. I am glad that you like somebody who reads books." Loyal is basically a zero fail. He got <laughs> <laughs> a very, very, very large zero fail. Yes. <laughs> I also feel like we need an episode that's just purely all of us talking like Ogier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can release it on an ASMR channel. That would take a long time to complete, I'm afraid. But we'd only have to talk about very little in that episode. <laughs> and and just to address the travels of Jane Farstrider again, um, that is a book within the book. A very popular book, and from what I gather from it, it's kind of a combination of, like, the travels of Marco Polo and Gulliver's Travels or something like that. It, it's, you know, 
here's some really weird, strange things on the other side of the planet that you'll never see, but I went and looked at. Yeah, and I remember you you talked about how it was more than likely something that would have gotten to small towns, even if a book, copy of the book didn't. Somebody telling the stories would have gotten to small towns. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was a super, known book. super highly popular. Yeah. yeah, I guess now that that you mentioned that and thinking about um, Igwain's arc and her character and how we've talked about how she's not the one that wants to settle down and have the farm family life, and Rand specifically points out that she's always thought of herself as as Jane reincarnated. Like, oh, we should have picked out that, or he should have figured this out by now. She doesn't want to stay here. Should have seen that one coming. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also, in this world, we don't know she isn't the reincarnation of. That, uh, very valid point. So then they get distracted by the, the procession leading Loghain through town. And uh, I noticed during this scene that Loyal is talking about Loghain and he, when he says the danger of madness. During that exact quote, it, it the visual on screen was Matt walking by below. Seems seems a little on the nose. Strategic. Very few <laughs> coincidences in these kinds of uh, storytelling. <laughs> very very few. Uh, so, so Rand, of course, takes off and Loyal says, oh, just wait, I will be with you in just a moment. I just need to get many things together. I will, it will not take me long. I will be ready in possibly an hour or two. <laughs> so then we see Rand outside. He finds Matt, uh, who's, who's up on a balcony overlooking the, the street. He runs up and, and gets on the balcony with Matt. We see some novices come by leading the procession. Uh, we see some accepted also coming by. And then we see uh, the sisters and warders uh, with, with a gasp from the crowd at, at Karene's boots backwards in, in her stirrups, which clearly the crowd understands that, what, what that symbology means. I gotta think that's not something that happens very often. Like, to take out a healer is one thing, but a battle Aja yeah. can't, I, I can't see, you know, them coming back with empty boots. As Especially with their warder still ever. alive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, there was the statement at some point, no warder should ever outlive his eyes to die. Because, and, and we see why. Well, not only that, but I mean, it's it's like a failure on their part, right? This is their one true job. Yeah, yeah. This is my one job, and I failed it. Like, like, yeah. It's like it's like a secret serviceman failing to jump in front of the bullet, you know? Because I imagine the huge majority of the time they're together. Like with Alana, she had her warders right next to her. So yeah. if she gets taken out, it has to go through them first. Stepan and Karena were in two different places. Well, and, and the, the other aspect of it that I'm noticing is like with, with the battle Aja being used to kind of protect this city in particular, I'm sure some of the more powerful are going to be known by the people who live there. They're going to know Stepan. They're going to know the, uh, they're going to know her. And so seeing who is leading that horse whether they recognize the boots, I'm not saying, but they, they know who's leading that horse and they're not seeing her. They may know those stories and it may carry some weight. 
Yeah, she might actually be known as a sitter to the the populace of Tarvalon. Yeah. So, yeah, if if anybody on that street knows who she or Stepan is, that would be very big. That would possibly explain some of the vegetable hurling, too. Mm. If he was mad enough and powerful enough to take out their general. You killed our heroine. What the hell? So then we see Loghain look up towards Matt and maybe Rand and and kind of laugh. Or or does he? We're not quite I, sure. I still think that's a hallucination. Yeah, I did too. That's Matt's. I think the laughing was a hallucination, but I looked very specifically. I think the stare that that Loghain gives the two of them, I think there's credence to Rourke and the knowing that they're Tavirid, and he sees that and looks up at, at them. I know the answer to this question, but I'm not going to tell it to you. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it's my place to tell you the answer to that question, because I might be holding it back for some reason. But I'm good. I appreciate some of the things you hold back. Fun to find shit out. I, I know that sometimes we get frustrated that you've told us you're holding it back. <laughs> but I think some of that may even be for the benefit of the readers who are listening to go like, please don't spoil this for these people. I specifically yeah. chose not to tell them, please don't you go email them. And um, Well, the good thing about them emailing is, is it all comes through me, so... Nobody yeah, can email you and tell you a bad thing. There are some very intuitive and, and industrious people out there <laughs> who could find <laughs> us if they really wanted to. Don't, 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 don't I'm not laying down any gauntlets. I'm not laying down gauntlets. I'm applauding that you have the skills. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't actually use them. <laughs> <laughs> After Loghain does or doesn't look at Rand and Matt and, and laugh, uh, Matt turns to Rand and, and makes him pinky swear to to uh, off each other if, if either of them starts going that direction. And and Rand seems like he's like, well, I don't know if that's really a, the best idea, but I guess, sure, if it'll make you feel better, uh, pinky swear, dude. Um, and you'll do the same for me, right? <laughs> <laughs> This this has all got to be hitting Rand very differently than than you know knowing that he can channel and seeing Logan Logan and yeah. he is like fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Some tells me their town didn't see anybody get quieted like not not in Rand's lifetime. Yeah. So then we switch back to the warders' quarters and uh, we see the the other warders prepping Stepin um, in in white for his ceremony to return the ring to to the the uh, crucible and Stepin tells the the heartbreaking story of how he met Corinne. he he had a, a no no direction in life how he was just going out there and fighting looking for somebody stronger than him to take him down cuz that was all he had he just wanted to fight until he found somebody strong enough to kill him and Karene turned his life around, gave him a reason to live. And, you know, that's powerful. That's, it, it really lays into why not just the, the warder bond, but why he is taking this all so heavily. You know, Karene was his reason to live, not, not just his charge. And then Maxime follows up with his tale 
of his father trying to kill him when he was a kid. And we find out later that Lan, you know, was just as aimless when he met Moraine. And it really illustrates that the men who become warders are the ones who are out there saying, dear God, somebody please give me a purpose. <laughs> you know, like the, <laughs> the ones who don't have family or, you know, uh, uh, a reason, a re something to live for, as you say, you know, and then they yeah. end up becoming warders and it becomes their whole life. And they, it, it explains a lot of their loyalty and their, their commitment to the cause. This is all they have. And the people here are the people, like their people, their family. Lan makes makes a suggestion that you know maybe bonding to another Isodai might might help with the pain or help help move on and and uh, he he snaps back at Lan you know maybe you should lose Moraine before you start talking to me about what to do in the in a situation like this you know way too soon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I love you, brother, but uh, back the fuck off. I'm still carrying her ring. <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't start telling me, a, don't start trying to slip me the number of somebody you know right now. You know, I, I'm, I'm putting on my funeral clothes. Let's, let's give it a little while. It's interesting that Yvonne's use of sarcasm to comfort him gets a very different response than Land's direct this is how you should solve it response to comfort yeah. him. Yeah. Because he kind of brushes off the, the total sarcasm, but when it comes from Lan and it's more direct and more of an actual solution to the problem, it gets snapped at real heavily. Yeah. Sarcasm is a love language. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that really speaks to... Like, in the books, there's a level of camaraderie amongst the the various military peoples that, that rings very true that I think comes from Robert Jordan's experience in the mil military as well. Um, and I like that they're bringing that through in the show. That that really feels like that level of camaraderie where, you know, you can say some, some dark or sideways things to each other, but you know it's all in love, and you know that because you've been through shit together that, you know, no matter what they say, you know what they actually feel. Yeah, it was it was more what, what, not that there was anything that could help him, but more what he was wanting to hear as opposed to not wanting to hear what Lan was dishing out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, then we we see the scene of of Stepan putting the ring in the crucible, which was beautifully filmed. This was brought up the first time we covered this episode, but uh, the the whole ceremony with the crucible and everything is not anything from the books. That's something that they made up for the show, and frankly, I love it. I think it fits the world perfectly, and and I have no issues with it. And then we move on to Moraine's quarters, where Lan comes in and and is just silently sad in the way that Lan silently expresses all of his emotions. I noticed the cinematography of this this time around that they really focused heavily on on the ring and and Lan focusing on Moraine's ring. And you can tell in that moment that he's envisioning having to drop that ring into the crucible. Then we get taken back quite violently to the White Cloak camp where Egwene is rather violently stripped, washed, and scrubbed, and then presented to Valda in virginal white. 
gets worse every time I watch it. It's ugly. It is an ugly scene. Like they're holding her arms and her face. Those brushes do not look like gentle brushes. That that they even go under her fingernails like <laughs> It's a violation. Yeah, when he was cleaning her fingernails, I could just feel when I was a kid and my dad would pull out his pocket knife and clean under my fingernails and it hurt. Yeah. Because he yeah. didn't because he couldn't feel it. So he was just like <laughs> it hurt. Did anybody else have that experience or just Oh me? yeah. Yeah, my mother would do that to me. Okay, okay. So Valda's sitting there enjoying his suckling pig and uh being just greasy the way Valda Valda does, brings Perrin in. Um Valda pretty much tells Egwene, you know, you're going to give me info or I'm going to torture him. Or maybe I'll just torture him anyway. I don't know. Uh, you know, YOLO. Every time I see Valda, I keep thinking he has to have some kind of t magical tool. Because he knows that she can channel. He figures out pretty quick that she's not Ice Die. But he knows she can channel. And he keeps saying... Do it for me, do it for me, do it for me. Why her out of every woman that he's ever encountered? Like, he has to have something that's telling him that this woman can do magic. Even her little fireballs just kind of bounce off of his cloak. Like, you would think that there would be some sort of reaction. I noticed this time really heavily that I think that he's got some sort of magical shield against channeling because it doesn't seem like her magic even though it was not powerful did anything to him like some kind of turangrial that would yeah prevent hmm. okay yeah i mean he's he's taking out trained isodai as well like it's not just yeah. the interaction between him and, and Egwene. it's also the fact that he's got seven fucking rings of women that he's slaughtered and to address those seven rings that you just brought up, um, they did do a, a close-up shot of those rings. I, I paused it and I looked really close and I what I saw was, I think I saw a blue stone, a red stone, and a brown stone. And then we also know that he has a yellow. So that's I saw at least four of three. the seven. When it was hanging on his belt, I saw at least three reds. At least yeah, three and reds. Yeah, the, okay. and these women are not pushovers. Right? So, like, if he's taken out reds... Well, you figure after the first one he took out whatever color, the reds came to him. The reds travel in packs. Exactly, How but I'm saying... How the fuck do you take out a red? Reds and greens probably came to him. But the reds also do not have warders. So, if sure. you can get a red on their own, they're going to be easier to take out than pretty much any other Aes Sedai. That's true. He has to have some way of subduing them, because he specifically says that if they'd have channeled that her hands would have been cut off by now. And you can see the, the cut marks in that chair where wrists have just been chopped clean off. Well, that was, uh, that was something I definitely clearly got about his character. He, he doesn't bluff. No. I, I, I got no, like, I'm telling you something to scare you into doing what I... It's like, no, I will do that thing. I'm giving you the chance to decide that I don't have to do that thing. But if I need to, I'll eat a bird and just chew it. Like, I, I don't care. It's, pure confidence yeah it's all yeah he believes he can do everything that he says and that he's entitled to do everything yep, yep. he says like there's no hesitation about is this no. you know the right thing to pick up these two people who 
are not Aes Sedai, but yeah, I'm going to kill one of them anyway because I have that right. Or both. As soon as he's confronted with a power that isn't channeling and doesn't come from a woman, he immediately retracts into a frightened little child. Yeah, parent scares him. <laughs> I said, I do no not pun scare intended. him. Parent does. <laughs> I have to wonder that that surety and that confidence, do you think that comes from, is he a true believer? Is he... Is he a white cloak to his toenails? Is is that surety and confidence coming from I I have the 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 light behind me? I am doing the light's work, or is he just a sick, twisted person who's like, oh, if I join this organization, I can use this as a cover for being a sick, twisted pervert? I think he loves the power. Yeah, it's a it's a god complex for me. It's it's he's getting off on the power because. He even says to Egwene, what makes you think I'm not a man who would break an oath? She tries to use the way of the light against him, and he just shoves it right back in her face, saying, I don't care. Yeah, a man like you would not, you know, hurt an innocent, and he is like, what makes you say so? <laughs> what, because I'm a white cloak? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, I think, you know, to, to get in further into that, the white cloaks don't think anybody's innocent, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, they, they, I would say they probably go around talking about original sin and, and stuff like that. and Especially among women. Um, yeah, but he exactly, specifically yeah. mentions the oaths that the white cloaks take. I, I don't know. I, I think that I think that there's something there in that he's just feels like he's above everything and everyone. I, I want to apologize in advance for, for bringing up uh, this particular person in advance to Ruark. But uh, I am reminded of a joss whedon story that has a character um the the the, the uh, agent i don't remember the, the word that they used for him but there was a guy in the movie who knew that he wasn't gonna be one of the good guys that gets to celebrate the works that he does he he is needed to help bring about so everybody else can be okay and then he'll the die with evil. that world yeah exactly yeah. that's kind of the vibe i get off of him of Oh no, I'm going to do everything I can to bring about the world. I may not get to be in that world, but I will do whatever it is to bring about that world for others. Which is which is the same justification that, you know, cops use for committing, you know, illegal acts. It's like it's all justified because the ends justifies the means. Oh, oh, actually, I didn't realize you joined us. <laughs> <laughs> We're back at the quarters quarters. Steppen comes by Nynaeve's room and, and asks her for some more of that tea that helps him sleep because he's still having problems sleeping. And she says, yeah, of course, I'll, I'll get you that that tea. And he asks, is it really made out of goat's tongues? I, I thought that was cute. We actually have a plant called goat's tongue. <laughs> <laughs> so, and like lamb's quarters and... Uh, Goose foot and yeah, yeah. I, I know about a lot of them, yeah. And and they have a, a a little conversation, and he says the pain is the only thing I have left of her, and I'm not ready to let that go yet. And oh, God, did that kick me in the gut? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a little too familiar to to um, on the surface for I think many of us. Something that occurs to me, um, I wonder if it's ever going to be addressed, how Nynaeve reacts to Stepan 
Um, yes. If, if I, she knows the pain that never he goes used, away. I, yeah, I thought about this too because it's like at some point she's got to realize or figure out from Lan that Lan gets drugged that night. If Lan, yeah, if Lan and ever at, tells her, at some point she's got to realize because well, she's probably one of the most perceptive people in this story. Let's face it, that <laughs> she gave him the means to drug Lan and allow himself the means to go do the act. Yeah. Yeah, I I thought about that too as she was walking out of her out of the quarters into the hall after she handed him like is she ever going to figure this out and what's going to happen to her on that because her and Stefan have a bond at this and, point and and especially her being a healer you know yeah oh shit Jay's in the chat saying I hope he never tells her and I absolutely 100% agree like that is not something she needs to know. Yeah, it, that yeah. Because it would it is not her fault in any level. She was she was blameless, but she would still end up blaming herself. Mm -hmm. As people do. She very much strikes me as someone who takes on responsibility for everybody. <laughs> so then we see her wander off, and and uh, Leandrin comes across her, and they they talk about uh, warders, and they talk about the Aes Sedai a little bit, and. Uh, and then the the snake tries to tell Nynaeve to go over there in the garden and have a nice persimmon. <laughs> I, I was just seeing it from that angle this time around, and it was like hit you hit you in the face. Yeah, it, right between the eyes. Yeah, but that's where Loyal Loyal finds her is in the garden, so she obviously goes. Um, which is our next scene uh, back at the blessing, uh, Loyal comes in and he's like, I I found a woman with. A, a very interesting breed, and I believe that she is from the two rivers, because the two rivers is one of the few places where they make a breed like this. And therefore, this must be the woman that you were talking about. There's nothing that you can say in two sentences that Loyal can't turn into 12. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I also love that we've kind of given Loyal the... Uh, the Sherlock Holmes ability, like <laughs> clearly from the mud on your cuff, I can tell that you like. <laughs> Nynaeve comes in and she immediately goes to Matt because that's Nynaeve. She sees the sees that Matt is clearly not feeling well, um, and so they she goes and has a conversation with Rand. Rand thinks that maybe maybe Matt can channel. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I know I can channel, but I mean, I'm not acting that way, so I don't know if that's what's going on, Matt, but yeah. <clears throat> it, it puts them both in this, this situation where, like, nobody wants to tell Moraine they're in the city, because at this point, Nynaeve has seen what they did to Loghain. And she's looking at the possibility of Matt being a channeler. She's like, nope, <laughs> I'm not letting you anywhere near him. Rand knows he can channel, so he's not going to want to go to the White Tower. And when they very first walk into the town, Matt said something to Rand about, I thought we were going to the White Tower. And Rand's like, yeah, not in your condition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Moraine lets it slip how much she knows in the city too how many spies she has and how easy it is to to find 
people. I mean, I, w- I would guess that probably half of Tarvalon is actually just spies. <laughs> well, who's out there is not going to take a couple of coin for just saying, oh, yeah, I saw somebody with a braid walking down the street. And there may even be a reputation because, you know, spy doesn't have to be covert person with an eye patch. Yar, I know he's over there. Like it, it can be, you know, Fred who runs the store. But knows Moraine and is more than happy if she asks a question or asks him to keep an eye out for somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I got you. Yeah, exactly. But that's kind of what I'm saying. I think half of Tarvalon, even if, you know, the bakers, the, the, the dressmakers, the whoever, the, the, are also eyes and ears for one Asha or another. <laughs> I... I, I totally get you on that, but when you say the phrase half of Tarvalon is spies, I picture half of Tarvalon being the eye patch guy. Who's there over there. <laughs> You're seeing the little spy versus spy guys running yeah, around. Yeah, exactly. All over the place. Over yeah. the place yeah. In every color. <laughs> well, to Siobhan's point, too, though, like uh, you've got an Aielman at running around. You've got a, a woman with a braid running around. These people are going to stand out so anybody on the street is going to be able to be a spy for moraine on this one that's true um and nynaeve says to rand well it's a good idea to avoid the Aes Sedai because yeah we don't want them seeing matt like this that would be a very bad idea they then worry about Egwene because nobody's seen Egwene yet um apparently they don't give a shit about perrin but they worry about Egwene. <laughs> he could take care of himself he took care of his wife oh oh Oh, oh, too, too soon. soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Nynaeve then uh, breaks her confidentiality clause and, and tells Rand all about Egwene's breakbone fever, um, which she then boils down into uh, the, the lesson, Egwene is unbreakable. I think um, it's it's a nice little... Um character little nice little bit of characterization right before we see Egwene and Valda's battle of wills <laughs> which uh we go back to Egwene at this point um and we see uh she and Perrin are, are left alone in the tent to discuss what they're going to do Perrin says he 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 wants to die he really does just want to die and confesses to killing Elsa and and Egwene's like, no, no, it wasn't your fault. And he's like, no, really, I did it. Like, these hands, my axe, I did it. And Egwene's like, no, really, it wasn't your fault. It was right there in the script. You didn't have you you didn't have any control over that. That's Rafe's fault. He's he's the one who wrote that. You're 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 in the clear. And parents just like, I don't care. It, it's still my fault. Then Valda comes back in, starts going at, at Perrin again, and, and we see the uh, Egwene, as, as we were saying earlier, tries tries to throw a fireball at him that seems to just fizzle out about halfway there. Um, we see Perrin get get some Anakin eyes going on. All of a sudden, the the Baja men show up and have an impromptu concert in town. Anakin eyes, they're watching you. <laughs> That's not the Baja men. <laughs> no, but it was the song that came in my head when you said Anakin eyes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Baja men show up and, and have an impromptu concert. Uh, who let the wolves out? Parent, 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 parent. Oh, God. Am I going to leave that joke in? That's... <laughs> 
I, I, I kind of, I, I wrote that. I even wrote that joke in the notes. Like that joke is right here in my notes. And, 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 and after saying it out loud, oh man, that was, <laughs> I guess you can't win them all. And then, uh, Egwene fails anatomy class. Yeah. 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 We haven't seen the last of all the. You, you would think that that uh, somebody who's training to be a wisdom would know better anatomy than that. Well, she hadn't started her her apprenticeship. That's true. That's true. Yeah, Nynaeve she, would she, not have missed. <laughs> no, no. Nynaeve would have been like, let's see, what's going to hurt the most? Right about there. And uh, then a bunch of uh, happy dogs come through town and say, ACAB. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Let's play. <laughs> it should have taken more than two white cloaks to get Perrin tied down because the boy's a fucking blacksmith. <laughs> <laughs> well, valid, well stated. Valid. I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was really, like I, I had said, like the, the characterization of Egwene as someone who is unbreakable right before you get to this little standoff for her between her and valdo where he's holding a knife to her throat and she's saying well if you're gonna do it stop fucking around and just do it let's get this shit over with there's this Egwene is softer on the outside than naive is but there's this thread of absolute fucking metal underneath that yeah that like gives you an idea why the two rivers people are famous for being fucking stubborn <laughs> you know it's like I think you just finally figured out uh, Egwene because that's that's something that people in the fandom have said before. It's like she's got this beautiful, soft silk outside, but it is just as thick as the silk. Under that is just solid fucking steel. Yeah, she doesn't back down for anybody. And she's sitting there helpless, tied up with this guy with a blood-covered knife. <laughs> you know, the blood of her friend is on his knife. He's holding her throat and she's like, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> if you're going to do it, do it. And then she channels, like she has had this completely devastating conversation with Perrin where she finds out, you know, the source of the grief that Perrin's been carrying around. And she looks at him and she says, basically, you know, she offers him forgiveness. She says, this isn't your fault. This is not, you know, in the, in the heat of battle, this is something that, that happened to you, not just something you did. And she, she offers him forgiveness and at that exact moment is when she's able to kind of sit back and concentrate on the channeling because when Valda comes back in she's trying to channel when he's out of the room she's trying really hard to generate some channeling and parents saying you know stop trying there's no point I'll just take I'll just you know take the the, the door out I'll be the victim just let him kill me but she gives Perrin this this offer of forgiveness and then finally she can kind of concentrate on letting herself go with go with the water like so like in the scene where she sorry I'm, I'm jumping back and forth here but like there's the scene where she's in the water where first she's failing and struggling and she's not able to swim but then she kind of gives herself over to it and she relaxes and she ends up safely going down the water she does the same thing here she struggles at first can't do it and then when she really needs to, she relaxes, she goes with the channeling, and now she can do it. She gets them both untied. It's it's another scene where they bring back something 
that happened before and show it again to show you the pattern. It's just so cool. (laughs) (laughs) You're starting to understand what I really, really dig about this story. I think, you know, the, the, the repetition, the, the things come around again, the circular motion of the storytelling and, and, and they've managed to pull that into the show. And and it's all stuff I would never have seen if I hadn't watched it a second time. Yeah, yeah wait till you watch it the fifth and sixth and eighth time. You're like, oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then we're back in Tar Salon, which is what my autocorrect corrected it to. So <laughs> Tar Salon, that's actually down in the square. It's a, it's a really good, great oh, somebody <laughs> Somebody's made a business with that pun. You know it. Yeah, yeah. It's too there. You can't. Like curl up, up and die, money. yeah. Tar salon, yeah. yeah. It's it, yeah. There's a there's a seamstress uh, uh, on a street just around from my house who has a store called Boulevard of Broken Seams. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, in Tar Salon uh, at at the hair salon, uh, Leandrin and, and Moraine both happen to be there. Um, and Leandrin, Leandrin's at Moraine um, and claims she's going to poach Nynaeve and Moraine's just like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's going to happen. Um, Moraine knows that Nynaeve doesn't like her, but knows that she doesn't like every other Aes Sedai just as much. So, <laughs> Why Leandrin thinks Nynaeve would go red? She spent every night at the camp at the Warder's Fire. <laughs> but that's a very good point yeah you would think she would just be like well that's a lost cause uh so then we go back to the warders quarters and uh we see Stepan playing with his forsaken action figures um and uh you know lan says uh which one are you warding off and he says i'm warding off ishamael the father of lies i need to see clearly i need to see the truth um, and then he and Lan uh, both get comfortably numb. Um, and there's a, there's a, a conversation happening here. Um, I wanted to see if any of you picked up on. They were saying to each other, do you believe any of it, any of the this story that we've been told about the Dark One and the Forsaken? Do you, do you still think they can touch our world? And uh, he replies with, the Forsaken sold their souls to the Dark One for eternal life. Even if the last dragon sealed them away, eternity's a very long time. The idea that they're still out there and they're still doing stuff. Well, and also that they'll affect every turning of the wheel because their belief system is eternal too, ultimately, because it just keeps recycling itself. So it's not like the Dark One gave them anything, really. (laughs) Which is kind of interesting. You looked like you were doing some math there, Siobhan. Oh, just... Because, I mean, one of the questions that's left at the very end of season one was whether or not Rand succeeded in banishing the Dark One or whether he actually just released him. So I think we're pretty sure that whatever was sealed in the eye of the world has now been released. And, you know, I'm assuming that it's not, in fact, the Dark One, that it is the Forsaken have been let out because you're saying the dark one's outside the world he doesn't have any impact on it 
but the Forsaken are actors. They have eternal life. They're probably what was let out in the final episode. Hmm. You've got that. I'm not going <laughs> to. I can neither confirm nor deny. I can neither Wait. confirm nor deny. Add it to the spreadsheet. Right. Where's, Add it to where's the spreadsheet. Where's face on a stick? <laughs> yeah, that, that was a little little uh, uh, piece of information that I figured nobody picked up on the, the first time. And, and, you know, it would have taken a long time to, to explain. But, yeah, that statement even if the last dragon sealed them away, eternity's a very long time. So they're still here, and they're trying to yeah. get out. <laughs> and they're sealed away somewhere. And and I think, Siobhan, you just did the math to figure part of that out. I don't think that he uh, necessarily released all of the Forsaken, but I think he definitely released that Forsaken. Shamael is in the house. <laughs> I, I also caught out of that that the whole moniker of father of lies and the way that Ishmael has been affecting dreams. You now understand that all of these dreams that he's showing you are his lies to manipulate your reality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even up and up into the one that he shows Rand at the very end episode, man, you guys are darn good. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can say to that. Uh, so we we uh, then switch back over to Moraine and Alana, and they they talk about Stepan and and whether or not he'll agree to to join Alana with with her other warders. And then Moraine talks that she's discovered uh, uh, in some old books a way of releasing the bond. So I had to wonder if at this point she's already figured out that she's probably not going to make it through the confrontation at the eye of the world. She's because she says to them um, when they get to the borderlands, you know, whoever is with the dragon will die. Yeah. So she's already anticipating that she's going to be there and she's going to die. She's already figured, trying to figure out a way to get land out of that. She's already planning ahead. So then moving on, uh, Alana says uh, the Amarlin's on her way. Uh, she's coming back home, and uh, you, you're you boned. That's that's what we understand. Uh, she's gotta, got it out for you. Um, and, and she is, in fact, boned, but not quite the way that, that uh, Alana thinks. <laughs> Let the record oh. show that David <laughs> put his head in his hands. <laughs> David did a full on uh uh Picard uh head 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 grab, yeah. Uh, um and, and the dad jokes have officially become too yes, much this episode. Yes. Um and uh um Alana makes some some talk about Moraine possibly making a, a play for the Amarlin seat and Moraine's like, no, that is not what I want to do. And and I think that really harkens back to that statement at the beginning of the episode. You know, that's not home over there. Home's where you are and in this saddle. So the idea of becoming Amarlin and being stuck there. I also, when I originally first time saw this scene, my initial response was, Alana is very loyal to her friendship with Moraine. 
Um, because I mean, she hasn't seen this woman in two years, and then as soon as she does, she's like, "All right, let me get you caught up on the on the gossip." But I also wonder if there isn't an aspect of the a red on the seat would be a fucking disaster. Do we have any other options? Well, Moraine's pretty powerful, um, and the other two are already out for her, so maybe she would see an advantage to getting into a position of power. I'll go to her. <laughs> it really is interesting that everybody kind of seems like Sawan's not strong enough to hold the seat. Like everybody's kind of assuming that there's even a ability to take it over. Yeah, that that idea in and of itself that somebody could just grab the seat from Swan. I mean, we've seen Swan is, is made out of iron herself. Underestimating yeah. her, I think. But also I mm -hmm. wonder how that how much of that isn't just the culture of the tower. There's a blue in the throne and so everybody else is jockeying for position. That's just something that's part of the atmosphere there. But she isn't blue because the Amerlin is of all Ajas <laughs> and none. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's, it's it's very telling about Moraine's poker face because yeah, like she knows the strength of Swan on so many levels, and everybody's like talking about this, and Moraine has to be sitting there thinking, "You guys just don't even realize." You have no idea what you're about to take on here. <laughs> and and uh, Alana finishes by saying, "You have a lot of enemies here," and. I think that's really interesting that we know about Moraine and Swan's relationship now. Mm -hmm. And we can see that Moraine and Alana are very close. I mean, you know, Alana comes into Moraine's room and, and posts up on her bed with her and is eating snacks and stuff. You know, that's not something you do with a casual acquaintance. That's These are very close, you know, college buddies. And... Even she is in the absolute dark about the relationship between Moraine and Swan. There's not even a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. She really does think that Swan is an Best enemy of Moraine. That's secret in the tower. Yeah, I, I really think it is. <laughs> it may be the only kept secret in the tower. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, so it's, it's a secret pro probably known by four people, and that would be the, the two people involved in the warders of those two people. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm very interested in meeting Swan's warder. Yeah. Who do you pair um, with somebody like that? <laughs> like, he's got to be good. <laughs> um, and then uh, we see Moraine looking at at her love shack Terangrial, which which I've discovered is what the fandom is referring to that Terangrial <laughs> as shack. The, the love shack Terangrial. That's awesome. <laughs> um, some some later point we are going to be introduced to the rock lobster Terangrial, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It's as big as a whale! Here comes a dogfish, chased by a catfish, into a sea robin. <clears throat> Sorry. Musical interlude. And then we go back to the warders' quarters. Steppen pours some tea, which takes on a whole new meaning at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and he and... Lan are joking around, and uh, he says, I've never been with a man. Lan's like, uh, two men. And you would assume that they want you. 
what's not to want? <laughs> oh, I love this interaction. It it, it feels so genuine. It, it <laughs> you know that that's the kind of joking around that that a couple guys do with each other when they're really close. You know, it it I liked it. Um, it, it it feels natural. That's one thing I like about a lot of the relationships in this series and and carrying over into the show is the relationships feel natural. Yeah. I also really appreciate how sexuality is not is not treated like it's a big deal. Um not just that they have same sex relationships, but it's just treated as if it's just a normal thing. Like Stefan's like, hey, I've never been with a man before. This will be new. So then Stefan says, uh, so what's up with the wisdom? Um, she she used the one power for the first time to save your life, Lan. Uh, I think she kind of likes you. And uh, Lan says, that's a bad idea. Uh, love's a bad idea. Without it, life wouldn't be tolerable. Lan says, well, yeah, but I can tolerate a lot. Big words. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't he doesn't last. believe it at all. Nice fronting, sir. <laughs> I think right now Lan is is seeing what Steppen is going through and realizing that eventually he's going to go through that with Moraine or she's going to go through it with him and doesn't want to put anybody else through anything like that, I think, is what's going through his head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially given that he knows what their mission is, it's not something that leads to good odds for longevity. I, uh, another little piece of cinematography that I noticed here, uh, that last line, I can tolerate a lot, and Stepan saying, I know. Point towards the T. Yeah, when those lines are, are being said, the focus pulls to Land's teacup. Yeah. Um... And then, then, uh, then we're at the end of the episode. Um, <laughs> Good call. Th thanks Cut. for coming, everybody. <laughs> um, <sighs> yeah. So, just be an option of like, you know, those reminders. Are you still watching? Like, just to yeah, pop yeah, up. Like, do you yeah, really yeah, want to see this sure part? You want to see? The do you just want to read this? a yeah. summary? <laughs> Skip you to the next episode. Yeah. Skip credits. <laughs> So we get the next morning, and we get a beautiful sunrise in the streets of Tarvalon. And you see Lan wake up, and he's looking around like, uh, where's where's the bus that ran me over? Apparently, uh, goat's tongue causes a hangover. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I get the feeling that they weren't just drinking tea. Fair. That kind of event. Yeah, you'd spike your tea. Yeah. And he sees the herb pouch and kind of adds... Two and two, and then turns around and sees a, a missing knife from a, a display he had on the wall. And I think he immediately knew what was going Ad, on. Adds a hundred and a hundred at that point. Yeah. The I still feel there was a vibe sound. of maybe it hasn't happened yet. Maybe I can get there. If I just go you now. see him run. He, he runs and runs and runs and finds Steppen outside the hall of the tower. And, and Steppen is gone. And uh, yeah, it's it's have you seen the use of sound just blew me away like the first time i watched it i was so caught up in what was going on um but the second time like just the point where lan realizes there's this like discordant kind of noise <laughs> like there's no other word for it and then when he's running it's dead silent no sound at all and then when he finds him you hear that noise again this kind of like just crushing sound 
amazingly well done. Yeah, I was going to say that, I mean, when you're in times of shock, that's really kind of the, the, what you feel that's, that's, I've experienced that before, you know, that like all the sound of everything happening around you just kind of fades and, and becomes a, you know, because you just cannot give any processing to that. You're, you're so caught up in, in trying to understand this, this shocking thing that just happened. So, yeah. Or, it, or extreme focus too. It's yeah, kind of the same, yeah. the same feeling. Also, um, realized that the spot where Stepan had chosen to die was kneeling in front of one of the statues in the Warder Hall. When Leandrin um, runs into Naive in the hallways, she describes the statue and she says, you know, like one of the warders um, raised, uh, something about how it was raised to honor the warders who have given their lives in defense of the Aes Sedai. And Stepan chooses that spot to kill himself and that for me kind of ties back into the i failed so this is where he sacrifices himself i i had not put that together myself that's thank you for doing that math that that wow it kind of adds to the awfulness it, it's yes. it's heavy yeah i'll i'll, I'll give that, that give it that um so then we get our, our final scene, um, which is Stepan's funeral scene. Um, everybody's wearing white, and and uh, Lan is chosen to speak for all the grieving. And and like any duty, Lan takes that duty seriously and, and, and honestly tears my heart out when he does. I cry every time. Yeah. And you can see how much Moraine is feeling his pain. Yeah. Kind of, it, it's kind of the opposite of that scene where Nynaeve is, is poking at Moraine's wound and you see Lan kind of shift a little bit from the pain. And in this scene, you see Moraine definitely being affected by Lan's feeling pain, different kind of pain, but still feeling pain. We said it before, but what a, what a beautiful funeral rite to just be able to scream to the ether your your pain and grief yeah and and we we also brought this up last time that is actually based on on uh a korean funeral rite um that that daniel henny apparently wanted to bring into the scene and and i i thought it worked really well i i feel like this episode is the one that they should have been submitting for the emmys or whatever awards they were submitting for Absolutely. I know they submitted, I think, episode seven and eight, or just episode eight, and this is the one I feel they should have submitted. The problem is, you submit this one, and everybody's only going to be able to watch it once. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nobody's re-watching this episode right after it. Like, whoa. Yeah. So, that's that's the episode. Uh, that was There was a lot of heaviness in that episode. Um and we want to say, you know, if if you are having any feelings uh, of of despair or depression or thinking of suicide, uh, in the U.S., you can call nine eight eight. That is uh, the suicide hotline number. It is an emergency number now from anywhere. Just call dial nine eight eight, and you'll get in touch with somebody with the uh, suicide hotline. 
And for those people outside of the States, I did find a webpage called blog.opencounseling.com that has by country what your options are for suicide hotlines. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, but, uh, we're just going to wrap this one up. Um, we want to say thank you as always to Michael and Jen out of the secret watch party Island headquarters. Thank you, Michael uh, and Jen. Thank you, thank you, Michael, thank and you Jen. Michael and Jen. And of course we want to say, uh, thank you to the other watch party network shows. Uh, be sure to get out there and listen to them. We've got watch party of ice and fire covering the works of George RR Martin. We've got watch party, Lord of the Rings, which is covering the works of George RR Tolkien. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and of course, coming soon, Watch Party Gaiman, covering all of uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, forays into the visual media. Yay. Can we tell the cool story about how we have that? Oh, that's right. Uh, so, uh, Siobhan, why don't you tell that story? We, we were trying to figure out which, which uh, uh, title we were going to use, as you can tell from the last several episodes of this show, and we keep saying we're workshopping it, and... Uh, Siobhan, why don't you take the story from here? So there, there were some concerns about uh, using the man's name. Um, you know, he's he's got a lot of property that's technically owned by you know big corporations like Netflix and Amazon, and so um, we didn't want to throw ourselves out in the line of fire. So at one point we were having this conversation, and somebody somebody in chat said, "Why don't you just ask him?" Yeah, why don't I just ask him? So I went to his Tumblr and said, hey, we're thinking of doing this. Are you okay with it? And he went, yep. Got back to me in like (laughs) half an hour. (laughs) So I'm like, all right, I guess we're doing it. (laughs) Yeah. So um, by by Neil Gaiman's own mouth, we we were going to be calling it Watch Party Gaiman. Woohoo! Woohoo! And I, 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 I'm kicking myself. I should have thought of that because I have a friend who um, started a record company called uh, Wasp Factory, which is named after an Ian M. Banks novel. Mm-hmm. And he, this is back before, you know, you could, everybody had an email address. And he wrote him a letter and said, hey, is it okay if I call my record company after your book? And Ian Banks wrote back to him and said, absolutely, and I'd love to hear the music. <laughs> so he has this thing framed hanging on his wall. And at some point, um, the uh, um, agency that reps Ian Bank sent him a cease and desist letter. And so he took a photocopy of the letter and sent it back and went, ha <laughs> <laughs> Signed, sealed, delivered. <laughs> and if you want to get in contact with us, of course, you can do that on uh, our website, whatwatchparty.com. It has links to all of our uh, various things online where you can find the show, where uh, to our Discord, to our Twitter, to our everything else. Uh, the Twitter and, and Instagram are at whatwatchparty. And you can send us email at whatwatchparty at gmail.com. There we go. Anyway, our final question submitted by uh, Jay again, who is listening along with us. If you could get the backstory for one of the minor characters that we've met in the first season, who would it be and why? I want to know Aram's backstory, especially the time he spends away from the Tuath on and, and what, uh, what adventures he runs into. I kind of want to know about Dana. What led her to that point? 
I want to know also about Padden Fane, but I figure we're going to know more about Padden Fane in the future because he's still alive. Where is Dana on the other hand? See, that was character at this point. He was for so long. He was a minor character. That was going to be my answer. And I was like, I don't know if that counts because no longer a minor character, but was a minor character. That's fair. That's fair. But, but. Dana, obviously, we're not going to learn any more about Dana. I kind of want to know what got what got her to the point where she's like holding somebody at fucking sword point, you know, in the middle of the night. Being from a small mining town, I can tell you that you're, living you're, in a small <laughs> mining town is enough to get you there. Fair, fair. <laughs> I think my answer would probably be uh, the leaders of the Tuatha on. So Rain and Isla and, and yeah, okay, why? Well, I'd love to see how they came into the collective. Were they born into the collective? Were they uh, one of the people that were embraced later on and see who possibly led while they were learning the system and how they're... Because it's, it's, a, it's an interesting concept to me of a rise in power in a place where there's distributed power. Yeah. They definitely speak with a voice and authority in the place, but it is very... We're using this because everybody's asked us to use this. We would not use it if not everybody supported us using it. Kind of uh, the rest of them don't want to talk to you, so we'll we'll do the talking. <laughs> I'm I'm the one who drew the short straw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Axel isn't here, so I'm gonna put Bella out there as uh, their answer. I totally can see Bella. How did how uh, did how did Bella first come to realize that she was the dragon. <laughs> no, I have a question that I, I don't know if it, it counts because it's not a character. I want to know the backstory of the dagger. Oh. I want to know the backstory of the dagger. That counts. 